In recent years, I had the privilege of um, knowing Gary's mum, uh, Loris Fagata, and I mentioned last week that um, some weeks ago she felt led to go to a cupboard and uh, there find a note uh, which she had written but not sent to um, our home group. And then she felt led to do that with... Uh, along with an exhortation of praise, which uh, uh, is an expression of who Loris is. Or, uh, and I say is advisedly because we know that she's with the Lord. Um, some of us attended a wonderful celebration of her life on Friday, uh, and I just felt led to um, read this to you uh, this morning. I praise you, Lord, for you are great, and greatly to be praised. Praise you for your mercy that endures forever. I lift up my hands and declare your greatness. Praise you, Lord, for you are the King of glory. You are far above principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, ever to make intercession for me. Praise you for your grace you have bestowed on me. I praise you, Lord, for you have touched my life and I've been born again by the Spirit of the Lord. I praise you, Lord, for your blood so freely given to wash me clean. I thank you, Lord, I am your child. I am accepted in the beloved. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I praise you, Lord, for you have opened the eyes of my understanding that I might know the benefits of the cross that I might know the power of your resurrected life and know of your fullness I have received. I praise you, Lord. I now stand on the promises of God. I am clothed in your righteousness and in your armour. I praise you, Lord, for you have entrusted me with power and authority over all the works of the enemy and nothing shall in any way hurt me. I praise you, Lord, for you have equipped me with weapons that are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Every stronghold that comes against my life, I praise you, Lord, I can pull down in your name. I praise you, Lord, I now walk in victory by the power of your Spirit working mightily in me. Lord, I praise you in the midst of witnesses and make a declaration to rise up and take my place in the kingdom of God and to walk in the fullness of the provision you have given to me and that my life will make a difference here on earth. Praise the Lord. May that be our testimony as well. What a wonderful statement that was and what an encouragement for our fellowship. In the 12th century, uh, Richard of Chichester wrote the following very simple prayer. Thanks be to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits you've given me, for all the pains and insults you've borne for me, O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother. May I know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your faithfulness. We give you thanks for all your benefits to us. We thank you for the confidence that we have to come to you in prayer. We thank you that as we draw near to you, we can be lifted above the concerns and fears of this world, finding peace, healing, wholeness and refreshment. Lord, help us to draw closer to you day by day. Lord, we pray for the members of the Hills Christian Family Centre, especially those who are struggling or have special needs at this time. You know each of us individually. You know the needs we each have. Physical needs, spiritual needs, hidden needs and hurts. Lord, we pray especially for all the young parents in our congregation. We thank you for them and for the children you have given into their care. Lord, give them strength, give them wisdom and give them encouragement in the important role of parenthood. Lord, we pray for the ministry of our church. We pray that our fellowship will be a beacon of light in this community and beyond. We pray for Sam and Joe and their family, for the leadership team, and for those involved in organising the various programs that our church runs. Lord, we also pray for Pastor Bill as he recovers from recent surgery. May he feel your healing touch and know your presence at this difficult time. We pray too, Lord, for those in other nations facing dire circumstances in the midst of war and persecution, famine and natural disasters. Lord, we do not understand and cannot comprehend the inhumanity we see every day portrayed in the media. Lord, let our hearts not become numbed to the needs of others and help us to know how we should respond in the face of situations that seem so overwhelming. We give thanks for the freedoms we have in this country and in particular the fact that the gospel can be openly shared. We pray for the protection of religious freedom. Lord, as you have told us to do, we pray for those in authority. May our political leaders use their authority wisely, always seeking to do what is best for our community. May they show good stewardship in the allocation of taxes, and may these always be used wisely for the benefit of all. Lord, especially guide their actions when, it's, when they touch on the care of children and the elderly, or when it relates to things that are being taught in our schools. In the face of the abortion debate, may our leaders have a true understanding of the sanctity of life, life that only you can give. Lord, may all officials work honestly and may corruption, dishonesty and mistreatment of others be exposed. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures that we can access and read so easily. Forgive us for the times that we neglect to meditate on your word or allow the busyness of day-to-day -day life to distract from listening to what you want to say to us. Lord, as Richard of Chichester prayed so long ago, may we each pray now. 
May I know you more clearly, love you more dearly, follow you more nearly. All these things we pray in and through the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Anthony, for those wonderful prayers. Isn't it wonderful just to just sit and be still and to be with the family of God, uh, lifting up those things to him? Um, we are incredibly blessed this morning. We're blessed every morning, aren't we? But particularly uh, this morning, you guys are going to hear an amazing story. I'm going to get John and Denise up here now. Now, I wanted to introduce uh, these guys because I remember... Was it a year ago, maybe even two years ago? They invited me to their home uh, to talk about music. We ended up having a cup of tea and started sharing about their work in Fiji. And I was blown away, not only by the work that they do, but particularly the story. The story in how God had actually opened up the way for them to be doing what they're doing. And in my mind, I thought, this has got to be shared. People need to know about this and what these guys do. And so hence we're here today and we have the wonderful opportunity to, to hear the story and to celebrate uh, the way that God has actually used this couple and opened up the doors uh, for their work that they do. And hopefully after this morning, uh, our church congregation is actually aware of the wonderful work that they do in, in Fiji. So I'm going to hand over to these guys and uh, be blessed with the story that they share. Thanks, Thank Sam. Good morning, everybody. And God bless you. I don't know what I can do this, Sam. Where's she gone? <laughs> I lost my guitar. So, <laughs> okay. What, uh, what we're going to do, Denise and I both have different things that we do in Fiji because most of you, or some of you know that Denise is also a trained nurse. So Denise has her story and I'll tell the major story and then I'll pass over to Denise, okay? Right, thanks. Right. <laughs> you can sit down. Yeah. I just want to tell you the story because many people have said to me, how did you get involved in Fiji? Well, it goes back to 1981. Uh, our children were much younger and we decided we'd like to take a holiday in Fiji, but we didn't just want to go to do the resort thing. We did do the resort thing, but we wanted to observe and interact with the Fijian people, right? And at that time, we were acquainted with an Australian lady who was actually married to a Fijian and lived in Blackwood. And she married this Fijian, it's the second marriage, and uh, this guy was, uh, he worked the Blue Lagoon cruise ships. And because of that, Helen, her name, was allowed to go up and down on the cruise ships. Anyway, we were talking to her and said, look, we'd like to go and stay in a village. Do you know anybody? And she was going up the Asawa Islands, and uh, I'll show you that in a minute. I'll put it on. Um, and uh, she said, yeah, I know somebody. And this, girl, this lady's name was Tara Silla, and she happened to be the chief's daughter in the village of Nambakeru on the Asawa Islands. So 
correspondence took backwards and forwards and we finished up going to uh, do the resort thing and we finished up at Nambakero. But that was no mean feat to get there. Don't forget, we're talking back in 1981. Transport over there was not that good. There's a lot of reefs that go from the Toka out to Nambakero village on Yasala and that's 900 kilometres. And believe me, the first time we went out with the kids, uh, we sat on this boat, we set off. It took three days before the weather calmed down to leave from Latoka. And as we're going out, the water is washing over our feet, which is sitting on the deck. All right? And they decided to turn back. And at the same time of turning back, there was another boat that was broken down. So we towed that one back. Anyway, <laughs> but that the only way to get there, even now is to take a ferry, uh, a local ferry from Latoka, which is north of Nandi, to an island, Tavua, and then the guys from the village will pick us up in a lot, one of their Yamaha boats and take us another 40 minutes out to Nambakero. So uh, the thing is, at the time when we first went out, there was, there was never any room inside the boat because that's why we're sitting on the outside. Sometimes they would have, you'd put a cow on the front and tie it there. <laughs> and, and 44 gallon drums. Now, the 44 gallon drums are fuel, they just threw them off in the water and they floated to shore or they pushed them to shore, right? And poor old cow had to swim. <laughs> the, there were no life jackets. Uh, we, sometimes I've been wet through rain and sea spray or sunburnt, especially if you didn't have an umbrella. Because of all the conditions with the water and the salt spray, we all had a bad hair day anyway. So we, fin we finished up. So the journey from the Tolka to Nambakero could take anything up to 12 hours, depending on the weather. Now, I remember Denise going up there on her 40th birthday, and there's no toilets on that boat. And I won't tell you what she said anyway. But uh, she's, well, she did. She said, I'm not going to stick my bum over the end of that boat. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I've, I've, never <laughs> I've never known a boilet for 12 hours before. Anyway, okay. But they give you a cup of tea and an enamel mug and the boat's rolling and they used to put a tablespoonful of sugar in this enamel bug, uh, mug. <laughs> it was, uh, it was um, black tea only, right? So uh, and it's hard to do that when the boat's rolling. You're trying to drink out this enamel mug, I'm telling you. All right. Um, what I, I do want to say, I'll put this up now, David. You can. Okay. It's, it is actually a tropical paradise. It's a wonderful place. But I don't think a lot of us could live there. It's nice to visit. You see, Nandi there, that's the main airport. You travel about 30 k's north of that, just uh, where that swings out. And this is just a bit of a tourist thing, but if you see, if you follow that, you follow right up to the end there, and it says Yusawa Island, and it says Sawilau Cave, Sawilau Island. That's where the famous Blue Lagoon Caves are. And I wake up in the morning and I look onto that. But then, to get there, you've got to get across right up to uh, Taviwa. If you come down, you've got Nathula Island, Taviwa, Metathewalevu. So there's a lot of reefs to get out there. Low tide, you've got to be very careful. 
So you swing in behind at Tavua and they pick me up from there, from Sarilau or the village of Nambakero. And that's how far it is. It's about 100 kilometers. And that's why it takes sometimes up to 12 hours, okay? But it looks like a tropical paradise, but there's no roads, right? There are no roads, no push bikes. The only way you get around is walking or you go on a boat. The shops, there's only a few food items there. Um, only stocks a few items when it's open. You're, um, there's no police. The chief of the village is a Ratu, he's the boss. And his name is Volker, a friend of mine. His father was a great friend of mine. I used to go and he said, Johnny, when you come, he said, you're the boss. And I said, no, I'm not. It's your village. But he always had some jobs for me to do because he knew I'd fix them. It might be putting a new shaft on something, fixing up his lawnmower, some new sheets on the roof, but always helped out anyway. So the elders and the chief control the village. The, uh, the religion, they're mainly Methodist. They have a lovely church in the village. I've been to quite a few of the services. They always welcome us. But the thing is, what happens there, you get to about four o'clock in the morning on Sunday and you get this boom, boom, boom. And this is the drums banging. That's to wake you up so you can start to read your Bible and pray. And this goes on every hour until dawn. And then the cockerels start. So one will start cock-a-doodle-doo here, and the other one's a different cock-a-doodle-doo with the other side of the village. And when they're finished, the dogs will start barking. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just something I wanted to portray to you because it's not all beer and skittles, okay? <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. That, that is the view from the beach out the front where we stay. Uh, if you want to have a look at the book later on, it's the front of that book is what I wake up to in the morning. And uh, it's, it is a tropical paradise. Part of that, that's the Blue Lagoon. The entrance of the Blue Lagoon past the seaplane, it comes in. And part of the, the old Blue Lagoon movie, the Brooke Shields, Anthony Atkins, uh, dead years ago, was made there. There's the school um, in between us and the next village. But we feel, we feel privileged that we can go there. And we treated very, very well. But I just put these three scripts up. It says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult us, you have fallen on me. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Now, I want to go on to the projects that we're doing. I'll start at our current thing that we're doing and I'll talk about the others later. This, this boat here is called, believe it or not, the Princess Moana. It's not named, it really is its name. And what happened is that at the present time, we're building flush toilets in the village for each family. We're trying to do nine, we're on number four, and I'm trying to do two a year. Um, 
what happened, that, that guy there is, I think that's Volker, is it, Denise? Looks like Volker. I don't know, I'm not sure. Anyway, this comes up to the village. It drops off all the goods. Now, the goods for the toilets uh, were supposed to arrive when we arrived there, or just before. But they arrived two days before we left. So, what happens? There they are, unloading. This ship comes up from Latoka. It, it drops off stuff at all the different islands on the way. Now, the better blocks. If for, each for each two toilet blocks, I need 300. So that came on the boat. Remember, the boat's late. Nothing's ever early in Fiji. It's called Fiji time. 30 bags of cement. The young fellow at the end is a friend of mine, Bill, the builder I took with me, and this guy got so infected with the love and the people and the village, he wants to go again next year. So, so what happened? This came off. We unloaded these. Oh, back here. And I said to the guy, where's the rest of the stuff? Ah, it's on the wharf in Latoka. I said, no, that's nice. Remember, we're 100 k's away. What had happened... I needed the sheets, I needed the timbers, I needed all the reel to do the, and all the plumbing stuff to finish off the toilet block. That's all I got. And I said, well, what the heck's going off? He said, well, when I did find out, the captain didn't tell me. The guy that supplies me the stuff in Latoka told me. He said, they stopped us loading, John. I said, why? He said, because they're overloaded. He said, the inspectors came around, they wouldn't let us load any more. I reckon they've gone to the plimsoll line. So I said, well, when are we going to get the rest? Don't know. Anyway, it did come out probably another two weeks after that. So that, that particular lot of materials is being used up right now. Excuse me, Mark. It's all right. It's okay. Oh, it's going to fall off. All right. I just want to explain something to you. Many years ago, I was up at Youth of the Mission. This is how God comes in, in, into our life in Fiji. We were young Christians at the time. I was only around 40 years old, a couple of years ago. And um, we went to Youth of the Mission. My daughter was there. She met her husband there. And there's a guy who used to prophesy. And I forget, I forget even his name now, and she can't remember either. But we were in a room, we were sitting right at the back, it was full. And he looked at me and he picked me right out, it's like where you are, Dennis. And he said, you're a businessman. I said, yeah. So hang on, I was at the time, yeah. not now. He said, God has told me you're going to be involved in raising lots of money for people in third world countries. I said, okay, fine. I remember this was when I was in my 40s. It took 35 years for this prophecy to come true. And it did come true. Because I've, we, between us and up to now, I think we've raised about $25,000 just to put things in the village, right? So um, I just thank God for that. I never, I never query it. I mean, see, at the time, the, the timing wasn't right. It's only the last seven years I've been 
doing what we're doing now in building things here because prior to that, timing wasn't right. I, I couldn't physically do it, right? Just didn't, it wasn't the right time in my life. But God knew, he's, God is never late. It's us that gets impatient, all right? It's just never late. So I praise God and, oh, don't worry. Sorry, I don't need that one. So, anyway, this guy's Louvre is one of the villages because I said at the moment we're building, we're building the toilet blocks. The toilet blocks are, they have a shower, a flush toilet, and a wash basin and tap outside. And that's a lot better than a drop box. I can tell you now. And Louvo is the builder. He's quite a character. His English is okay, but it's not fantastic. And this is what we do for the foundation. We don't get, we, we find as many rocks as we can get and make the foundation, and that's how we do it. The, the, the green building next door is the current toilet and shower. So what Bill did when he was there, he taught them how to re tie the reinforcing in properly. And what they were doing when they put the slab down, then they dig the hole to seal up white pipers. They dig the hole through the solid concrete and the wall to put that in. It's a bit stupid, of course, but yeah. So, but so that to saves them some work. And then when they put the toilets in, the toilets, the, the flush came out the back, not straight into the ground. They didn't leave a hole in the wall, so once they built the wall, they knocked half, half of Besserbrook out to put the hole in the wall. You know, one day I was on the phone for quite a while organising stuff, and, and Denise said to me, I don't know how you didn't lose, your, didn't lose your cool. And I'm not really a very patient man, I can tell you that. But I said, well, what's the point? Don't get you anywhere in Fiji. You've got to go with the crowd, and that's Fiji time, all right? And believe me, it can be any time. So that is basically what we do for the foundation. The guys go, actually go across to the next island. It's not far across the channel. And they get all the gravel to come back and mix with the cement. And the cement is mixed in a big drum. Well, that's the other side of that. And that's what you see is toilet and shower. And one night, I was nearly to tears before I left um, June, July. June or July? June this year. And Abraham, the guy that lives in that blue house, he sat on that bench and he's talking to me. He said, John, he said, nobody's ever done for me what you've done. He said, I can go in there, I can press a toilet, I press a button and I flush my toilet away. He said, I am so grateful. And he, and he went on for five minutes. The team brings me to tears now, I'll tell you. Oh, he just went on. So and there we are. That's what we're trying to replace. There's the drop box, what we call open toilet. The flies get in there. <coughs> excuse me. The flies get in there and they spread everywhere. There's another one. That's the first one we were building. Um, that was last year. They, uh, we've made a few modifications since. That one's uh, virtually finished now. This is the second one. That's finished now. I can't show it. That was the first one. This, this is how it was inside. But you see what I meant? Where that toilet is, 
they punched the hole in the wall instead of leaving part of a brick out to start with and then cementing around it. And then they dug a hole to put the drain in and then they cut it off after. But anyway, it's all going to change. We're getting better, all right? This is one of the village ladies, Tara Silla. She's the first lady that we, uh, we stayed with there. And uh, she's, uh, she's a very fit lady. That's her kitchen. She lived in that. Now, this brings me on to what we were doing. We, we had the problems with the natives over there. The kitchens were like that. And sometimes they'd be on the floor. And the guys, they wouldn't cut up the sticks like this. They'd cut them up like this. So the whole idea, the fire's in the middle, the sticks are out here, and as it burns, they kick the sticks in. Not silly, right? But what happens? Kids will trip over that. The smoke that that creates inside, you can see how it's black, causes cataracts. So does bright sand and sea cause cataracts too. So we said about... They, they never clean the ashes up. You see what I mean about the sticks, pushing them in? Smoke coming out the kitchen. So the cataracts again. And again, everywhere you go, the smoke was coming out. When you go in there, you come out coughing. If you like your food smoked, it's all right. <laughs> oh, okay. This is one of the, we got onto these cookers. And uh, what they do, they've got the two openings there. So obviously the chimney's going to go up through the roof now. So that gets rid of the smoke. But then what they, what they were doing on some of them, they were pushing that many sticks and it blocked the chimney. Although there is a ledge at the end, before the chimney, that the wood will stop there, but it's got to vent out. So I go on to these and we send a lot up to the village. They're $400 a piece. And that's the result we want to achieve, the smoke coming out the top, not inside. That's one of them that we put in there. We made the block, and uh, they were still sticking the real long sticks in, but at least it was working. It was getting the smoke out, and we raised it up. But the ladies still want to sit on the floor. They're so used to sitting on the floor, I can't do it. I'm terrible. They, they always get me a chair or a cushion. <laughs> and there's another one that's set up. Also made him some kitchen sinks. Took the wood up and some sinks. Another one, you see the cooker on the right. The sink there, that wasn't connected up at the time. There's Lou Wolf. Again. That light is actually a nice big solar light. It works on AC and DC. So we sent one of those up for each clan. And they were about $700 each, all that. Put out a really good light. Now, 
I'm going to go on to Cyclone Winston. What happened, you all heard when the cyclone hit Fiji last time? It really got stuck into, it came right through. Raki Raki got knocked out, several people killed. And Raki Raki is on the north of the main island. And uh, it came down as far as Bar. And um, did a lot of damage anyway. So we went over just after Cyclone Winston got some food on the ferry. <laughs> what happened is that we're supposed to get to the ferry. We had quite a lot of food, and the food we were buying were 50 kilo sacks of flour and sugar and tea and stuff like that, right? We were in the hotel in Latoka, and I get a call from the owner of the boat. He said, oh, John, can you be here about 3.15 in the morning? I thought... Yeah, okay. It was supposed to be near about 5.30, all right? When I got there, I found out, I found out later that the uh, harbour police come in about 6 o'clock and uh, they wanted to clear the harbour before the harbour police came in. Hmm. Anyway, we're just moving out of the harbour and it broke down. Steering mechanism. So they fixed that. That took 12 hours to get to where we needed to go anyway. And three times it broke down. And it was a steering mechanism that keep popping off all the time. So fortunately, we could fix it on the way. So, but, you know, these are the sort of things that happen over there. That is one of the churches that got knocked out in the cyclone. But uh, Raki Raki really got smashed. Now... This is a local boat that picks us up from the ferry. Obviously, it's using to uh, unload the stuff that we sent. The picture in the background is Sawi Lao. It's the highest point on the Yasawas. It's, um, it's where the Blue Lagoon Caves are, where they filmed some of the movie. Here's the guys unloading it. So you can see the sacks. They're pretty heavy. These guys are pretty strong. Same again. That food that we sent up there actually was sent to three villages. It was split up and sent to three, one to Teddy, and, uh, which is further up the island, and the other one to Tamasur, which is further along the bottom. So, um, so it kept them going for a while because see, they were okay. They didn't have much damage. Um, but um, it blew the veggies, the veggie gardens out. That's what they lived on. They don't have any, there's no income there as such. So they can't just go and buy food. And the vegetable gardens just got blown away. So, and the fish after a storm are not so good to catch because they're not easy to catch, they tend to go away. There's this group of sacks. Is the chief on the right hand side, Volker. I knew that guy when he was 18 years old. And he was a bit of a rebel too, I'll tell you. But a great guy. But he's, he's really took over and he does really well in the village. So this is all the stuff in the community hall. And uh, what he's doing is to sort it out. Each family 
You put so much because there's cooking oil and baking powder. What else is there? Oh, I can't think now. Yeah. Just the basics that they need, you know. This, just all the boxes that came up. There were tinned fish, there's tinned meat. There's, mm. We had to oral, order this from the Tolka before we went there and pay for it. Flowers. So this is another little story. That particular boat or those two pontoons was stuck up a breadfruit tree. And the guy that's with me, Carly, he said to me, John, he said, can we get that, get that down and fix these up and make it sail again? I said, can't make it sail again, mate, and paddle it. Anyway, I took the year after I took some stuff up and we set it up, we put them together. What happened? But you see what this the thing is with something like this, this is Captain Joe. He was at primary school, that's Carly's grandson. And he used to go out the edge of the reef. You'd see there's a blue line up there with a grey. And he used to go out there. We put a board on the top eventually. And he'd, uh, he'd drop off his uh, Besser block, which was his anchor. <laughs> True. And he used to paddle the thing out. But it's always on a Saturday because with the Fijians, they don't do any work on Sunday. They only do it, they catch all the fish and everything and cook it up on Saturday because God says you rest on Sunday, all right? So Joe would go out there and catch the fish. Anyway. What happened with that particular boat, it came off an old catamaran from a resort somewhere and he tied up on the, on the shore and the tide had come in, she started washing. Of course, the bottom of the pontoons weren't that thick because it had been used for a while and it sprung a leak because he didn't pull it in. The boat's disappeared, but I know where it's gone to, but it's partly mine, so I said to the lady, I said, I want it back. Anyway, where do I get it back and up? Who knows? I don't know. So there's when we finished. And you can't exactly get those pontoons straight because you need the bar over the top that's a curve to keep it straight. So, but you know what? It worked pretty well. You just pondered along and off she went. And it's Carly again. Carly I've known ever since we first went to that village. This is a, a young lady I know. And that, she's having a bath. And that, that is a bath. <laughs> and that's Carly's granddaughter. She's followed me everywhere she did. So, just want to catch up some of this, hang on. Yeah. Something I wanted to show you before I hand over to Denise. Are we going for time? 11.31. I don't even know what time started. <laughs> it's all right. This, this here can have a look later on. It's actually called a tambua in Fijian. That is a whale's tooth. Can't take them out anymore. They're, they're used on special occasions and things, and this was given to me as an honour. 
Uh, they cost around seven to nine hundred dollars each now because of the scarcity. You're not allowed to take them out of Fiji. I didn't do this illegally. I already had done it years ago, right? It wasn't illegal then. But I don't want to take it back because I might lose it. But, but that's what was given to me then. Quite an honour, actually. Okay, darling, I'll just hand over for you in a minute. But that just for, for, come on, it's okay. I would like, there's a few people I forgot to thank. <laughs> thank you in the beginning. David Cottrell that spent three nights with me putting all this together, as far as the photos are concerned. Thank you for the patience, David. There's several people here that's helped us out during the way. And I also, I don't want to mention any particular names other than David's. Sorry, Dave. Um, but... Um, the Victoria League of Adelaide, who I've just become a member, they actually sponsored Denise and I, and, and they've been very generous. And through David DeLima, some of you may know, some of you may not know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not asking here, to, I'm not standing here asking for donations, that's not what I'm about. I just want you to know what we do, right? So, I think we're about that way. So I'll pass you over, darling. I'll stay here. Well, my main role is, because I'm a nurse, is seeing problems that people have out there, which are great. So I've seen problems there that I have never seen in Australia because there's no, no medical treatment there whatsoever. And so, you know, you, you have patients knocking on the door all the time. Now they know I'm a trained nurse. Um, I treat general things like first aid things, you know, foreign bodies in eyes, cuts on feet, um, but the problem is there, because of humidity, the bacteria grow so fast that lots of things that get infected, boils, and, and then the children get scabies. So it's a case of educating them what to do for scabies and how to treat, what to do with the bedding, etc. So there's a, a lot of education that needs to go go on but you you really have to be careful how you tell people what to do because you really can't tell people what to do you don't you can only suggest so that's how I mainly approach everything is just suggesting this is what I would do if this happened to me you know then then it's a, a gentler way of saying do this or do that um, you know, I was telling everybody to put the bedding outside in the sun. Uh, why do you do that? Well, you know, it helps to kill the scabies, might, if you put it out in the sun. Um, so just that alone, but I've had um, people that stand on stingrays, because, you know, stingrays sort of hide in the sand. If anybody knows about fishing, you walk in the beach and, and the stingrays just under the sand, and they put the foot down and the tail comes up and swishes them on top of the foot and you've got that vein that stands there on top of your foot and our blood pouring everywhere. That's happened twice, two guys and that's quite hard to stop it bleeding because it's hit the vein. Um, luckily I have a chemist here in Blackwood who is very good and um, they give me a lot of stuff that's nearly out of date uh, and my own doctor is very good too. Every time I treat anybody, I always pray because they're very receptive to prayer. So I pray before I do anything because some things that I do, I have never actually done here in Australia. And um, 
I, I pray about it, and then when I took a picture, I asked them, can I take a picture? And I will take it back to my doctor in Blackwood and show him and say, this is what I did, you know. <laughs> is it okay what I did? So, you know, we we're on the right wavelength, and he always gives us two lots of antibiotics to take with us. Um, where I always keep one lot just for John and I to share between us if we need it. But the rest I use on them because... Uh, a lot of the infections need antibiotics to clear them up. Right, well, let's start now for this first picture. Uh, and if you, anybody's a bit squeamish, these aren't too bad, these pictures. I try not to put the really bad ones in there, but if you're a bit squeamish, just close your eyes and listen. This boy came to me, and the hand wasn't like that when he came. He just thought he'd got something stuck in his finger here. And um, I said, well, what have you done? He, he had no idea what he'd done. Um, so I just put antiseptic cream on and bandaged it up. And then I went looking for him a few days later because I hadn't seen him. And his hand was like that when I saw it. So I knew then something was in there, but I couldn't see what. Um, and it ended up, I had to give him antibiotics. I wanted him to go down to a clinic, which there is a clinic on another island, but it takes you $60 in fuel to get there. And, of course, they've got no money because there's no way they can raise money only by shell markets when the big cruiser comes in every fortnight. So they've got not much money to go down there to the clinic to, to get uh, medical treatment. So he wouldn't go. And in the end, I, well, I gave him antibiotics as soon as I saw the hand like that. And um, I found out what he'd been doing before this happened. And they'd been catching a pig. And evidently... Um, pig's hair like and if anybody's a hairdresser here you know sometimes the hair can get caught in your skin hairdressers find that too and we thought that's what it must have been a pig's hair that got caught in there and it made a great big hole actually through his finger but thank goodness it, it cleared up Next one. that's another scald lots of scalds and burns um because they have those big fires and a big kettle on there they save the hot water they get and they put it into a flask. And so, of course, they put the flask between their legs and hold it in the feet and pour the hot water in because it scalds the feet and the legs. So I get a lot of burns and scalds. Burns from the fires as the children's tripping over the sticks and also scalds from the adults. Okay. Um, this this one was after the cyclone and we just got there. Um, we arrived and it was evening and, and the lady came to my door and said, could you come and have a look at my mother's leg? Um, a piece of tin in the cyclone had flown off and hit her on the leg, on her foot. So I said, well, do you want me to come tonight? I was like, all right, if I come in the morning. They said, oh, no, it's all right, come in the morning. <laughs> when I went and I saw that, I realised the foot's gone gangrenous. And I said, well, is she a diabetic? Oh, just a little bit, you know, just still have the dessert spoons of sugar in the tea. But um, I, um, I treated it um, and I was very worried about it because, um, you know, being a diabetic and, and having gangrene like that, you know, you can soon lose your foot and your leg. So I said, you must take her to the clinic. Um, two days later, they decided to take her down to the clinic and I gave her the packet of antibiotics that I'd been given her. I said, show them to the doctor to show him what uh, I gave you to take. And um, she came back. They're the best antibiotics you can have. Just keep on with them. That was the story from the doctor. No more, not another course of antibiotics. Anyway, we, uh, we debrived it and that's how it ended up looking next time I went. 
So it was, you know, otherwise she'd have lost her foot. She really would have, uh, you know, when I showed that to my doctor, he said, you know what they'd have done here, don't you? I said, yeah, she'd have been in hospital, she'd been on drips, she'd have been in theatre, cleaned it out, etc. But, you know, it's really good how that's cleared up. So that, yeah, that's just a few of the cases. And then um, because the ladies are so big, um, because they don't move too much, they sit and just sort of move around like that, putting things, pots and things. Um, their diet is very bad because it's mainly carbohydrate. And so I've been trying to get them to grow fresh vegetables. And there's where I've started seedlings growing. And it's hard to grow seedlings in that village because the chickens walk around everywhere. So, you know, everything gets scratched up. Um, so I've, I've got that and we made a cover for the top so the chickens couldn't get there. And then I thought the best way to educate them is really go to the school and teach the school, school children how to grow all these vegetables. So here we go, next one. Oh, that's what we covered them up with so the chickens couldn't get them. <laughs> and this is a vegetable garden that they've um, started at the school. So the headmaster was very good. He uh, he was very willing to learn. I had to write everything down for him, how you composted everything, how you grew everything, how you fed. Uh, they, they, because their vegetables grow so easily, just the cassava, they just get a stick and stick it in the ground and they don't bother to water it. So you have to say to them, you have to treat your vegetable seedlings like children. You have to feed them, you have to water them, you know? You have to protect them from the sun. All these things that you have to do to, to grow your vegetables. And they, because they do grow vegetables in the mainland, but on this island, they don't. And so it's really all starchy things they eat. I mean, they've always got coconuts. So we set up this vegetable garden, he's a school teacher, and, um, and got these garden beds going. And that's the headmaster. And um, I, I was giving them um, CDs of um, David Attenborough. They love watching David Attenborough, all the animals and that, and how he portrays it all. And, and that's me giving him the David Attenborough um, set of tapes I had donated to me. Um, I also teach them at school hygiene because uh, hygiene is desperately lacking. Um, and how I did that was by saying, um, this is your hands before you go to the toilet. And then I got talcum powder and put it onto my hands. Said, this is your hands when you come away from the toilet if you don't wash them. So the talcum powder represented the germs. And then I said, this is all the germs now on my hands. And then I touched John and he's going to have his lunch now. So then he got the powder on him. And then I said, he's, he's going to eat his lunch. And then, of course, he got the talcum powder around his mouth. And we did the same thing as germs spread. We put talcum powder on the toy and I threw it around the class. Well, that was hilarious because we had talcum powder everywhere all over the class. <laughs> but hopefully it's something they can remember, hygiene, how to wash their hands, you know, before they eat and even when they've been to the toilet. Because um, the food they prepare for us, we have to be very careful what we eat. Otherwise, we get sick. So we try to eat all our own food that we prepare for ourselves. But being able to be very careful because that's all they can give you is their food, apart from that one lady who actually made me that big um, tray there. That was a lady that had the gangrenous food. Um, they can't give you anything. They've got nothing to give you. you know? so they feel like they want to give you something, so they give you food. So you have to be very careful um, 
to refuse it. You have to have, have just eaten, you know, just something so you have to be careful that you don't offend people. Yeah, that's the trace he made for me. Um, hey? He's clicking you while he's walking. He's like, what have we got now? Where you, where, where you got to then? <laughs> Uh, well, now I've got to talk about the sewing machines. Now, just to go back. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, this time we got some sewing machines donated to us because they had no sewing machines there. And so this has allowed the ladies to be able to earn some money. I went to Woolworths and um, we got some Woolworths bags donated to us. So what they're going to do is do, you see that one with the Fijian material at the back? We're going to stitch Fijian material on the front um, so they can sell it to the yachts when they come in. Because in Fiji now, they've ha actually stopped plastic bags, which is good. Um, so these sewing machines we took, um, was, they had one in each suitcase, which is pretty heavy. <laughs> and um, they made um, tablecloths and curtains and clothing for themselves, which has been really good now because they couldn't do that before. Because just this last time, the government has put one solar panel on each house before there was no electricity. Um, so uh, at least they've got one plug they can use in the house for doing the sewing. Um, also, I got involved with Days for Girls. Um, I don't know if any of you know about Days for Girls. It's about um, reusable sanitary products uh, because because the girls there have got nothing they can wear when when they're on the period. So this um, is as a just can you take that out there, please. It's a great product. It's washable sanitary pads. And um, they found that when people donated to people in foreign countries, they put them down the toilets and blocked all the systems up. But this, this is, can, and anybody can look at this after, this is a pack that um, you can make, and I've got the ladies making these now so that the girls can use them to go to school because a lot of the times the girls have days off school because they're too embarrassed to go to school. So therefore we're um, lacking the education for the girls, really. So I did a course on being an ambassador for women and uh, I now can teach puberty and uh, in schools, which would be great because I'll do that when I go to Fiji again, when I go to the primary school. This is a really great thing. Um, even people can use them that's, that's not in third world countries because they're really sustainable. You know, now we're, we're trying to keep our planet clean. All right. And I just want to read you... Um, I have to put my glasses on. Um, I, just, I just have to get my glasses because I can't read it without it. This is a letter that um, Vodka, the head man, wrote to us this time, thanking us for what we do in the village. Dear John, Denise and friends, greetings to you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It has been a blessing knowing you all and how you associate yourself to our small village of Nambakero. I would say it has been awesome. We are very fortunate to have you and your friends be with us in our village. Although we are not very rich, We'll fee we feel that we are rich by love in such a way that we are able to welcome you to be part of our lives today and in years to come. 
in whatever deed you have generated for us, we know that the, from the bottom of our hearts that you and your friends have done it with a kind heart. And for us, it is a blessing that we are on the receiving end of your kind heart. I, on behalf of the members of the village and especially the widows, would like to thank you for the kind heart. We cannot repay you back or whatever we may do to show our appreciation will be enough for what you are intending to help us in. This is the English. Please convey our word of gratitude to all those who have helped in making this ongoing project a success. Please be rest assured that the village is open to you, your families and your friends in case they may like to visit Fiji and this small, beautiful village of Nambakeru. A big Venaka Vakalevu, thank you. And may the good Lord continue to shower his blessings on you and Denise and your friends. Thank you very much from Volker, the headman. And then I thought about this scripture we should put up. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up, therefore we will have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Uh, and in closing, I'd just like to say a small prayer. Dear Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity you gave us to serve the village of Nemekero. We ask, Lord, that all Christians follow your word to love your neighbor as yourself. We can all, we cannot all serve you overseas. We, we can all help people in our community who are less fortunate than ourselves. We thank you for this, Lord, and ask us to go before you, Lord, in everything we do. Amen. If anybody would like to ask any questions, we're more than happy to talk to you in a tea room or a cup of tea or coffee anyway. So, thank you for listening, everybody. And I'll pass you back to Sam. Thanks, John and Denise, uh, for sharing your story, but also, yeah, what, the, the work that you're doing and just to see the photos, I think, is, is really helpful too, just to, to get an actual visual picture of what you're doing. I just want to... Am I still on? Yeah, okay. There's just one thing I wanted to um, say, and I didn't show you the pictures tonight because they're fairly horrific. The night before we left, um, this guy's, guy came to my door and he said, John, can you come and see my daughter? She's just burnt herself. Anyway, when we found her, she'd burned herself, and this girl was an epileptic Denise has treated her before when she's been there because she's always scalded herself because she sits on the floor again with a hot cooking fat and she has a fit. This went all over her, right? The pictures were so horrific I wouldn't even show you because, as I said to Sam, you know, really, my doctor said, John, that makes me feel sick looking at that because there's nothing he could have done by the time we got to her. Um, we... So I told the ladies, just get her under the cold shower. But this was 20 minutes or so after. It should have been done straight away. So that led Denise on to something else, saying, I'm going to put a list of what you do for burns up. So every house has got one in the village. So, yeah. um, 
anyway, she lived for what, how long, didn't she? Yeah, several weeks and uh, seven, seven weeks. She never whimpered, not once. The day, the day after I went to see the chief, I said, how is she? Oh, she's all right. And a bit later on I went, they're all praying in, in the house. And I said, mate, you've got to get her to the clinic. And we did. And we said, I haven't got enough money. I said, don't worry. We'll get, get some more fuel. Here's the money for it. Right? We took her to the clinic. Not once did she whimper. And um, she did eventually die. I'm surprised she lived for seven weeks. But uh, it's a real mess. So that was a sad, sad part of leaving. And her mother was up there. She was at a, she was the lady with a sewing machine on her own. She was at a, uh, a funeral up at Bakama, which is another village. And the husband was inside drinking grog with the boys. And uh, this happened all. And it made me quite sad. But anyway, thank you for listening. Thanks, John. Um, yeah. As John said, um, come and grab them in the morning tea room afterwards. Uh, he's got a he's got a book there of a picture also of you know his view <laughs> that, he, that he wakes up to every morning. Um, but just yeah, if you want to have any questions or any any more info, but um, yeah, we're really blessed to have you guys amongst us and just your heart for like the the words that you've you've spoken today, the heart for doing uh, good for those who are less fortunate than us. Um, it's just incredible, and uh, yeah, we're truly blessed by who you are and, and the work that you're doing. Uh, because of the time, we're going to um, wrap up now. Um, sorry to the, the worship team who had another song, um, but we're going to um, just just wrap up our, our time uh, together. Uh, I encourage you to, to hang around for a, a tea or a coffee and a chat, particularly with uh, John and Denise. But uh, just before we go, I'm just going to pray, and then we can head, out, head on out. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for, for John and Denise and for others uh, like them who take on uh, the, the, the message that you've given them and the hope that you've given them and, have, and pass it on to others. And Lord, may that be our prayer too as we leave from here, the words that we've heard and the, the sense of your work that is going on, may it and come from us uh, to those that we meet uh, during the week, our friends, our family, our work colleagues, uh, those who are in need. Uh, Lord, may we be shining the light of your gospel in every way that we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.